Hello and welcome to this episode of Bush Footy Legends. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded on the traditional lands of the Noongar people and pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. The show is produced by Magic Studios and presented by the WA Country Football League in partnership with Healthway, promoting the Think Mental Health message. On this week's show, 100-game Claremont great and Cable Beach goal-kicking champ Kiefer Yu. Kiefer won five flags across the grades and was a fan favourite at the Tigers, but he also knows some things are bigger than footy. He's got an important message for country footballers to set them up for life after sport. I'm your host, Jackson Barrett. Let's get into it. Kiefer, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. It's, it's brilliant to have you on. It's a busy time for you. You've just had a, a second kid. You're playing footy up there. How are, how are things? How's broom life treating you? Yeah, it's going well at the moment. Thanks for having me on the uh, podcast. Um, I actually just started my paternity leave for a couple of months. Uh, I'm calling it daddy daycare. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, um, still playing footy at the moment. So Cable Beach, um, you've had a, an unbelievable season. You've already kicked 62 goals. Can you can you talk us through how, how footy is? It's a pretty strong side you've put together up there. Yeah, we've got a good team. Um, good bunch of blokes. Uh, a lot of ex um boys that have played in some waffle as well um, and a pretty talented side at the moment. So they haven't lost a game yet this season. And what a, what a finals shaping up like. Yeah. It's probably between us and Derby. Um, yeah. Where they finished first and second. So, and pretty convincingly as well. Mate, we'll start with, um, with growing up in, in Broome. What, what was that like as a, as a community to grow up on and where did you find footy up there? How did, how did you come to be a footballer? Yeah, it was uh, oh, growing up in Broome. I can't you know, complain about that. Um, you know, the area we live in, we've got beautiful beaches and um, you know, it's a pretty strong-knit community. Um, I learnt, sort of learned to play footy from... Just sitting with me old man when he used to watch, he was he was a Dockers man. So, you know, every afternoon on the weekend, we'd always sit down and watch footy. And then I'd always just go out the back and kick the footy to myself. Um, I'm the only boy. I've got four sisters uh, that were only a couple of years older than me. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, the juniors, it was, wasn't like it is today. Um, there was a little bit of junior football, but not as much and probably not from the younger ages, you know, from, I guess, what they do today, like six upwards, um, no was kicks. Uh, it was always, I was always playing with my older cousins um, and learning off them. How much of an influence did your cousins have on your footy, just giving you, you know, with, with not a massive junior setup, how important it is it just to have someone to kick the footy back to you, so to speak? Yeah. Uh, well, that's where, I, you know, I learned, most of my footy, me being the youngest boy in my um, immediate family, um, you know, you always sort of had to be a bit tougher and stronger. So, and that sort of developed throughout my career and how I prided myself when I played football. I learned to tackle, you know, on bigger bodies from a younger age. And, um, you know, what my cousin, we always used to watch um, wrestling as well. So the WWE and we used to muck around doing that in the uh, bedroom as well. So that sort of, helped as well they talk about sort of players that have have played from that really young age play with a little bit of instinct and um, things like tackling technique and stuff like that come really naturally was that something that was it like that for you do you find that you were you're an instinctual footballer yeah definitely um i you know i really prided myself on um my tackling and i guess my skills as well 
Um, yeah. What was your sort of relationship with country footy once you once you were able to to start playing? And I think you played for a, a couple of different clubs up there. What's it like coming through as a junior in Broome? Uh, it's good. Back uh, they didn't really have Colts um, when I was coming through. So you know, as soon as you were sixteen upwards, you know, even sometimes fifteen upwards, you'd just train with the men's uh, men's comp. And when I started, I um, I'd, I just followed my brother-in-law who played for Cable Beach and had a few cousins playing for them as well. But um, when I was coming up, they had a pretty strong side back then as well. So I actually trained. I'd come back on the school holidays and play train with them. And, um, you know, I just wanted to get a game to have a run on the weekend. So I would actually didn't get selected with them. So I ended up playing my first game for Bidjadanga with some other cousins. Um, and it was against Cable Beach, funnily enough. And <laughs> had some... Uh, yeah, the one memory I have is um, one of the past players who's passed away now, Brett Claudius, um, who he played a bit of waffle as well. Uh, I was 16. I think he was, he'd just come back. So he was a pretty developed footballer. And, you know, I remember catching him holding the ball um, and my cousin running past and saying, that's my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been uh, the perfect start to, to league footy. And obviously playing against men is is always so good for your development. You mentioned... Watching the Dockers with your old man, were you a were you a Dockers kid growing up? And were there any players at the club at the time that had any sort of influence on you as a as a young footballer growing up? Uh, I actually went for the Eagles because my right. Um, oh yeah, my my nan went for them. My dad's mum. Um, yep. She was a religious, and most of my ex- external family were religious um, Eagles supporters. So I, I followed that way and sort of went against the grain against my old man. So a bit of competition in the house. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I just, I used to love watching all the indigenous players play. Um, one of my favorites was, uh, Winston Abraham. Yep. Uh, yeah. Taking his high fly marks. Um, yeah. So he, he was one of my favorites and then McLeod, um, was another one. Could light up a game. Couldn't they? What about, um, so you mentioned going back up to Broome for school holidays. You, you went to school at Hale. What was that move like for a, a broom boy who's obviously grown up so close to family and so linked to, to family and your community, what was coming down to Hale school like? Yeah, it was tough at the start. Um, big difference academically. Um, and, you know, I look back in hindsight now, I wish I tried harder at school than I, um, but you can't, you can't go back in time. Um, so, but it was good, I guess, to, get out of my comfort zone moving and um, especially for my football as well. Um, there was a lot more opportunities um, and you, you sort of get recognized a bit more being in the city um, and playing in those uh, PSA competitions. And then um, obviously from there going to the development squads. It's a, it's a different culture around PSA footy, isn't it? So different from, from anything you would have seen in the country. What Do you remember your first couple of games of, of PSA footy and, and playing for the school? What was the um, sort of the build-up around, around game day like at, at Hale School and also the on-field stuff? It would have been quite a, quite a different style. Guys that have probably had a little bit more coaching and, and that sort of thing along the way. Yeah, definitely. I think as I was coming into the first 18, that was when they sort of started um, developing the football programs at the schools. Um, 
So it was probably in the first couple of years that they just started doing it. Um, we had, you know, a lot of, or Kale Morton was there, the Morton brothers. Um, they were coming through Hale as well. Good country boys. Um, yeah. Uh, the Benjamins, um, Warren, Benjamin and uh, Clinton. Um, and then, yeah, a few others that, you know, grew up watching them and watching the limelight on them and how they sort of come through and then just playing with some of the boys watching the development and seeing what they go through. What about from there? How does, how does Claremont come knocking? So obviously through the development squads, do you remember the first time or the early days, someone from, from Claremont started to take notice and, and made an approach on you? Uh, I think, it was just through the um, planned um, club footy um, yep. and then getting selected through the development squads, uh, the 14s, 15s. Whereabouts did you play your club footy in Perth? I started at West Coast um, when I first moved to Perth and then I ended up moving to Marist just because there was a couple of um, schoolmates playing for them. So, And what, what was it like coming into that Claremont system? You're obviously a, a broom boy. You've moved down to Perth. You've had the experience at, at Hale and playing club footy and the like. Um, but Claremont's a, it's a different beast, isn't it? It's a, a big footy club with plenty of history. What was the, the first experiences at, at Claremont Oval like? Uh, yeah, sort of. I remember playing at halftime one day when I was uh, – that was my first experience there, playing the junior leagues at halftime. Um, and, you know, sort of won an award there. And then, um, you know, playing um, through the junior footy ranks, it it, it was uh, it was sort of like a privilege, you know. You get you, – you never – I never thought I was uh, one of the best footy players, but seeing the others around me that I played with and, you know, some have gone on to AFL level now, um, you know, it was – playing with such skillful players that sort of put me instead of where, where I've come to today. And obviously, Claremont, one of their catchment zones is is up in your part of the world in the Kimberley. Were there a few broom boys at the club at the time and did that help in in getting settled there? Yeah, definitely, especially when we played the development squads. Um, they'd select them because a lot of them, um, the others that were in Perth at the moment, a lot of them went to Clontarf, so yep. they didn't... Um, you know, they didn't, we didn't play club footy against each other um, or school footy against each other, really. Um, so, you know, it was good that through those development years, we created like a bond, I guess. Um, you know, especially when your majority is uh, white, I guess. The, the Indigenous boys usually just um, gel together and come together when they're, in, <laughs> when they're minority. Um, so we did that from a younger age and then, um, you know, it sort of came through when we came to Colts. So on Colts, one thing that stands out is that you won a premiership in 2009 and looking at that game, I can't help noticing one, you kicked 2012, 132, which is a monstrous score in a grand final and N5, six goals. Um, yeah. I've got this image of a young Nathan Fife. We know when he came into the league, it was, he was pretty impressive in his first first couple of years i've got this image of him sort of ragdolling 17 year olds in the goal square and kicking from kicking them from the top of the square was that what it was like nat nat five parked forward in your cult side <laughs> nah he was uh sort of a high half forward um yeah so he, he was there L- louis broom actually kicked um i think five as well in that game yep. and he, he ended up it was between those two to get the best on award um so 
what was he like to play with as a Colt? Fifey? Yeah. Yeah, he was good. Um, you know, it, he sort of come from nowhere um, through, because I played PSA against him as well. So um, he he was, I think he ended up playing thirds in year 11, I think, um, just because he was having a run around with his mates wow. and then took it a bit seriously in year 12. And then um, at Claremont, you know, he was, he was a good teammate and, and a good mate. Um, yeah. It was a, a handy grand final. Travis Collier played as well. Ryan Neitz ended up at West Coast and Peel had Harley Bunnell, Aaron Black. It was a it was a good side. What are your memories of the day? How did you go? Uh, I, I don't think I got that many touches, but I was just happy to be playing. I think me and uh, I think I was playing back line in the back pocket. Um, and me and another broom fella, Sonny Dan, were down, it was down there as well. So, you know, it was, and it, it was just good. We actually, we called it the dream team. All us um, Indigenous boys had Jarek Whedon, um, Louis Broom, uh, Damien Crispin, uh, Jolie Coyne from down Albany Way. Yeah. Fantastic. What about um, sort of graduating to the reserves? It was a... Um, really successful club at the time, but that certainly filtered down to the reserves. So flags in 2010, 11, 12, and, and 16. Were you involved in, in all of those? And what was your time in, in the reserves like? It's obviously frustrating to a point, but as a, a younger guy coming up and playing senior footy, it would have been a good experience, first of all. Yeah, I think, well, 2010, the league, we were both in the grand final. Um, and that was when Claremont lost to Swan Districts um, in that great um great game um so it, it was a tough side to break into um i was lucky enough to play a few league games in that first year um but then some injuries after that so uh but it was yeah reserves footy is 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 just about biding your time i guess until you till you feel you're comfortable and you you get um in your own uh i guess skills um and you, you feel comfortable on the field and you're comfortable that, you know, you, you deserve to be at that level. And that's sort of where I got to at the end of, end of my career. Um, yeah. And at one point in the reserves, you got a call from a club legend, Clancy Ruderforth. Can you tell us a little bit about what this call was all about um, and what it meant to you and, and how it shaped the rest of your waffle career? Yeah, well, I guess with Clancy, I was at a stage you know, where I was sort of on the fringe um, about where I was playing my football. I, I was actually looking at either hanging them up or going to a to another club. Um, and Clancy had just finished up and, you know, he rang me and he said he wanted me to wear the number two jersey um, uh, as in, I guess, Waffle back in those days, the lower numbers were like, um, you know, pretty much starters for the league side where the higher numbers were given to the twos and fringe players. So I started wearing 55 when I first um, started my league career. And then, yeah, he rang me. And then, um, you know, when he rang me, I just, my mentality changed and I sort of, you know, someone of that stature, uh, club captain, um, you know, played the similar style of footy as well. Um, yeah. And he, yeah, it was it was a privilege and an honour to wear number two. So that sort of made me hang around more. And when he gave me that, after that, I sort of made it 
the goal that you know I wanted to try playing a league flag, and then if it wasn't a league flag, to try play a hundred games. What sort of interaction did you have with Clancy before, and what did he mean to Claremont as club captain and a and a club great? Yeah, he he was just um, someone that looked out for me. I guess um, I think he liked the way I played the footy as well from a young age, and he, you know, he he always he was always looking out for me and trying to get me involved where where he could um we've still got a good relationship today so it just shows you know what kind of a person he is um yeah he was a great leader you know someone who gets their broad jaw broken um you know and then tries to play footy two weeks later Mm. it just shows you know what kind of mentality he's got then of course um so you you made your league debut in your first season and then starting to sort of solidify your spot a little bit. Of course, you went on to play 100 games of league footy, but do you remember a moment where you started to feel comfortable in that league side? You sort of touched on that's that's part of the goal, isn't it? Do you remember uh, maybe a game or a moment where you went, yeah, look, I'm like I'm up to the level here. This is this capers for me. Yeah, it was probably when I was about, you know, 24, 25, I think. Um, I think I had a chat uh, with one of the previous captains season before I was sort of on the fringe um, and said, you know, what, what do I need to do to get in the side with, I think it was uh, Michael Broadbridge was a coach at the time and yep. uh, captain Jake Murphy. And they just said, you needed to get fitter. So, you know, I just put my head down the next preseason. And um, from that year on, I think I played 21 games um, the next season. Um, and that, that was sort of, I guess my body, uh, I was never the, fittest runner or I, I never used to like running long distance um, even from a young age. So. Which is ironic because am I right in saying you've since run the New York Marathon? Yeah, yeah. I did that yeah, the first year I came back in 2019, um, which is another experience, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, what's life like as a as a league player? You've obviously, um, I know you you had a trade for a little while. What's it like, particularly on the fringes, being in and out? You've got the stress of footy, um, but you're not like an AFL player. You're not in that club environment twenty four seven where you can sort of, you know, you can focus on that. What's it like dealing with the stress of being a fringe player, but also having to get a job and um, and having friends and a social life and family and that sort of thing all in the mix too. Yeah, I guess that's where a lot of players either make it or they don't. Um, especially, you know, like the boys I spoke about through Colts, um, they went through different paths and, you know, they had young families and whatnot um, at the time. And I I was always about trying to get into that routine. You know, playing waffle footy is like, it's pretty much a full-time job um, these days. And even back then, um what they expect you to do um it, it makes it tough but it's 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 all about finding that balance and you know doing doing what's right for you you everyone's different now one thing that was a bit of an issue for you throughout your your football time and and particularly your league career were head knocks and repeated head knocks and head trauma and and concussions and that sort of thing do you remember the first time you got a a really serious head knock and and how did that make you feel did it knock you around what was your recovery like yeah i guess it was going back to psa days when i had my first serious one um yeah. throughout my career i never really i re- i suffered bad from delayed concussion so i'd get a head knock and then i'd feel fine and then after the game i'd 
really go downhill. Um, and that's where that sort of what happened when I was in uh, playing PSA. Uh, you know, I had a head knock playing in Christchurch. And I, because I was boarding, I actually was going out to a friend's house after that. So I actually went uh, to his house after. And um, yeah, he just really deteriorated really quickly. Um, and, you know, it's a bit frightening being on your own um, as a young, you know, teenager, um, not knowing what's going on with your body or, why you're feeling a certain way. And then, yeah. you know, the same sort of happened throughout my um, waffle career as well. Um, and I guess it was just, yeah. But then also in my waffle career, I had my own, um, you know, aspirations. So I used to, um, you know, I'd probably get in trouble for saying it, but I used to fudge my concussion tests um, yeah. because I've had, I had so many. Um, and looking back in hindsight, I probably wish I didn't do that. Um, and I wish I, you know, had more care for my own well-being and, and safety, um, especially today with what's going on with a lot of the head knock stuff. Um, yeah. Was fudging the concussion tests, was that was it a widespread thing? Were people across the league doing it? Were other guys who had repeated head knocks talking about doing it? And when you think about that now, how, does, sort of, how do you look back on that? Uh, I, I don't know if other people did it. Um, I just knew that I, it's, it's, it's pretty much the same test you do every time. Um, yeah. you, you got to remember some words and some phrases and whatnot. And when you do it repetitively, it sort of becomes, you know, um, you can, you can get away with it. Um, and I don't know if other people do it. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there is some that, because, you know, yeah, football's the thing we love. Um, and, Thinking back then, I'd do anything to play football, you know. Wouldn't care if, you know, I was on one leg or I'd just love to be out there. Um, yeah. So in, in like a practical sense, these, so you'd have a, am I right in saying you'd have a test in pre-season or when you first get to the club and they'd get like a baseline for you and then if you had had a head knock, they'd test you and if you came in below that or below a certain level, you'd be deemed concussed? Uh, I don't know what they do today, but back then it was just only if you had a head knock. Um then you'd have a test, like yeah. I guess, on the Monday, um, Monday training when you came in, or Sunday, um, you know, to see, hey, I guess your memory and um, if there's anything. You'd get assessed by the doctor, but um, yeah, I, 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 I could fudge my way through it. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. What do you know of um, of some of the more famous stories around head trauma and, and CTA? So, like. Polly Farmer, another great Indigenous footballer, and and Shane Tark, and all the ones that come out of American sports. How do you how do you sort of view that now? Yeah, I guess it's just the hard thing is they they can't they 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 can't find out um, you know while you're alive they have to examine your brain um, which is difficult. Um, but going through what I've been through today, they can pick up signs, um, but you know, when you have a MRI on your brain or CT, it's not always going to show um, some of those effects that brain trauma from impact has caused. Um, so, I, you know, I guess I was thinking about it just the other day that I think if I had a young son playing football from a young age, I'd probably take him to get a MRI or CT from a young age just to, and then, you know, I'd probably have one every year just to um, to compare 
to see if there's any, I guess, significant changes. Um, yeah. You're obviously um, you're obviously still playing now. Sixty two goals for Cable Beach this year. It's like shelling peas for you, um, <laughs> kicking goals. But do you think you'll play for much longer given given all this? Nah, this year will be my last year. Yeah, I just sort of uh, I've lost a bit of passion playing up here in the uh, footy, and I, I'd like to find time to sort of give back to you know the next generation and try. Um, support where I can, if it's with the Kimberley Spirit team up here or wherever, try, you know, develop, you know, the next waffle AFL stars from the Kimberley. You touched on a little bit of the um, the sort of depression and, and going and seeking help for that sort of thing. Was that something um, that came about as you were sort of grappling with with all of this and, and the effects of the head knock? Did it come from the head knocks? Have you sort of had that had that diagnosed? Uh, yeah, I haven't had it diagnosed. Um, they, you, they, yeah, they can't say whether it was, it might've just yeah. been depression, but, um, yeah, I don't, it, it hasn't been, I guess you can't say it wasn't, um, but you can't say it was, uh, it's, 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 it's that gray area because they don't know, especially with CTE until they, um, until you're dead, I guess, um, to, yeah, until they examine your brain, um, but it was, it was just noticing those signs and being a young male, especially myself. I don't like to open up um, to others, even my partner. She she hates it. Um, <laughs> she, she I, I just don't talk. <laughs> yeah. And then as soon as I you know decided to go see someone professionally, it was a major um, you know relief off my shoulders, I guess. And I started to get better within myself. Um, because I guess when you're speaking, you know, to family, it's a bit hard to open up sometimes because, you know, they might, you might think they're judging you or something. So when I saw a professional, I knew, you know, that was strictly professional. So I could say how I was feeling or, um, and, and as soon as I did that, I just started to feel a lot more better. Did that have an effect on, on your day-to-day life? You did a really important work up there in the sort of juvenile justice space. Do you feel like it freed you up? Did it free up your footy? Did it free up your work? Did you just sort of generally feel better for, for having spoken to someone? I felt, I guess it was more feeling better at home. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're, at work, I sort of, I could switch off. I wouldn't think, oh, you know, I was more there trying to help the others, um, especially young fellas coming through there as well. Um, just trying to be a better role model and, you know, uh, I guess, you know, you put on that brave face and you you try, um, you know, try not to show them what weakness, I guess, <laughs> um, yeah. and just try, try, you know, push through to be a better role model for them. Um, yeah. Would you, particularly in your work with, with those sort of kids and in your really strong ties with country footy, is that something you'd encourage people to go and do is to, is to go and see a professional? Yeah, definitely. Um, especially now that there's, you know, at first some people might not think they have the money or um, to go see, a, you know, not so much a doctor or a GP, but to um, to see a psychiatrist. Um, so, you know, but now there's, there's certain things in place where I think the government, you can get six free, um, if you're referred from a GP, six, I think it's six free sessions um, and they call it like a mental health plan. Um, yeah. Do we um on the on the head knock stuff? Do we 
do you think we need to do more in, in country footy? And, and what are some things you mentioned that the MRIs and stuff, what are some things that you feel in country footy we can do to make sure that going out there and, and playing a game of footy on a Saturday or a Sunday is, is as safe as, as safe as possible? Yeah, I think, um, you know, country footy, it's that brand of tough footy. Um, you know, I'd, you'd get a head knock and you'd just say, or someone would put on a big bump, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, some of them are clean and some are not. Um, and, you know, it, you sort of get up and you go, oh, I need to play through this kind of thing um, just for that, um, you know, that brand of being a tough football player in the country. Um, so that's that's one thing I'd say is, you know, just make sure you're, you're looking after your own self first because, you know, football's not going to be there forever. Um, yeah. and you, you, at the end of it, you, you know, especially when you're only young, you're 30 and you want to try to live to 70, 80, um, you don't want to be a vegetable down that track. So, um, it's, and I, I would suggest, yeah, you know, getting an MRI or just having your brain just so that at the end or at the start of your career. So at the end of your career, you can actually compare, um, to see if there has been any damage done. Um, yeah. I don't know if they do it in the AFL today or not, but yeah, yeah, I think that's something that would be good. I'm not a, um, you know, doctor or anything, but that's just mm. something that I would recommend from what I've sort of been through. You touched on the AFL there. Do you, do you how do you sort of look upon what they're doing and and the twelve day protocol and and stuff like that? Are you comfortable in that they're doing enough? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot more being put in to it today than there was. Um, you know, back when I was coming through. So over the last couple of years, there's been a lot more due diligence from the AFL to, you know, really put the player first rather than, um, yeah, players wanting to play for the team. Now, another thing you came up a little bit during your, your career, and I'm sure throughout your life, but unfortunately on a football field as well, and it's something that's still obviously a massive issue was, um, a little bit of racism and and some vilification and, and stuff like that, and there are a couple of sort of higher profile cases towards the end of your career. What what sort of problem is that in football at the moment? Oh, it's a, it's it's still a big problem. Um, yeah, in you know, I guess not just in football, but every sport. Um, it's 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 hard when you you've you've been the victim. Um, especially when you pull someone out or pull someone up for, you know, saying it, it's, it's, it's hard because you end up becoming, you know, the perpetrator um, for standing up for your own rights. And I guess in a local league, it's always more difficult because um, it's always your word against theirs. Um, you know, there's no cameras, there's no microphones. Uh, it, it's, it's about, uh, I guess, the perpetrators owning up to what they say, you know, because as soon as you own up to it, you can learn from it. You know, one thing I was always taught is that, you know, you're not born a racist. It's something that's taught. Um, so it, yeah, that's, that's, and it makes it difficult when you're the victim because you've got to take it home with you. And, um, that's also, you know, when people take it home, that's when they fall in dark holes as well and they can get depressed and, um, you know, yeah. Was it a problem growing up up north as a youngster? Was it something you experienced more in Perth? 
Uh, yeah, definitely more in Perth. Um, you know, Broome's a very multicultural town. Um, my background, I'm Chinese, Aboriginal, and my mum's, um, you know, English, Australian. So, yeah, and, that, you know, there's a lot of different races in Broome, so it never really happened in Broome, um, only when I moved to Perth. You um spent time at Claremont with Hayden Yaron, who recently obviously really bravely spoke out about this this sort of issue. How do you look on this now? Is it something that are we getting better at it? What do we need to do to get better at it? Um, and did you did you sort of reach out to, to Yaron during that time? Yeah, I definitely did. Um, I remember when I was going through it, um, Jared Oakley Nichols, um, he, he sort of went through it himself, so I reached out to him as well. Um, I personally think the penalty should be a bit more um, stricter than what it is um, because, you know, I guess today everyone wants to protect their image, um, especially from local Cubs or uh, even in the AFL. You know, it's all about protecting the image of your club. Um, but at the end of the day, if, if, if you're standing up for something that's, you know, very inappropriate or... Um, uh, yeah, I guess that's inappropriate. Um, it's, you know, that, that's not the image your club should be portraying. And that's, I think, something that Hayden stood up for. Um, and I guess, I was, as I was saying before, it's hard when you're in those local leagues because it's, you know, he says she's, you know, yeah. your word against theirs um, with no witnesses around. It makes it difficult to actually prove it. Um, but, you know, someone's not going to stand up and say, you know, this person said something that's not true, you know, when there's a lot of emotion into it, there's a reason that that emotion's coming through is because they're standing up for what they believe in. Yeah. What's next for key for you? I know you'd love to end your time in footy with a flag at, at Cable Beach this season and you're well on your way to doing that, but what's life after footy like and, and what does work look like for you? Yeah. Um, you know, live a pretty good life up here. Um, I'd like to spend more weekends, you know, football takes a lot, up a lot of time. Um, so I like to spend a lot more time with my family, you know, fishing, getting out, hunting, um, that kind of stuff. Um, but also, yeah, trying to get back to the younger kids coming through um, and teach them some of the things that I've, I was taught through my career um, and pass that on um, to them. So hopefully, you know, they have aspirations to, you know, make AFL or if it's not just AFL, I, my aspiration was just to play at the highest level for as long as I could. Um, yeah. We've seen some really brilliant footballers come from that part of the world in the last couple of years. Is there more to look forward to from the, the talent pool up there? Definitely. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of skillful players up here. Um, it's just uh, some of them might not have, they've got different sort of support avenues. I was pretty fortunate enough to have the family yeah, my family support me pretty well. Um, so it's a finding ways that, uh, you know, I can or work with them or support them and or finding other, other people that can support them if they want to make the transition to Perth. It's, it's a very, you know, it's 2,000 kilometres away mm. <laughs> um, from, that's from Broome. So you, you think of kids that are coming from the East Kimberley as well. Um, that's even further. That's a, that's, a, that's a long way from home. Yeah, I mean, you look at, you know, landscapes like Europe when <laughs> you could be on one side of the world. <laughs> what about um, 
what about in your workspace? So working the sort of um, juvenile justice space, you're doing some really important stuff there, which we touched on. Does does football help in a community like that to sort of bring some of these kids together? And I know that a lot of the kids that find themselves down the path where where you end up dealing with them probably haven't had the the privilege of being tied up in in a sporting community. Do you think it do you think it helps in in a, in an area like the Kimberley? It definitely helps. Yeah, there's a you know um, especially with the likes of Clontarf and whatnot going around, but. A lot of the clientele that I deal with, they don't—they're not really going to school at the moment. Um, so it's—it's it's about um, you know trying to be that support to try get them involved more um, because I guess from a young age they haven't been involved in those environments. Um, and I guess the ones you see do doing it, they—they they seem to be doing well um, and not be getting in as much trouble um, compared to those that are just doing antisocial stuff all the time it's about trying to find those um yeah social um you know sporting whatever it is um we we try to take kids out on country and and you know re-engage them that way uh, to culture as well um so yeah but it's it's about being that support for them and do you still keep up with the Tigers? Are having another good year this year, looking for a, another tilt at the finals, and and maybe a little bit more. Do you still have mates at the club, and um, and are you still a, a really active supporter of Claremont Footy? Yeah, I am. Uh, we had our uh, reserves and league reunion from twenty twelve this earlier this year, so came down and watched um, Claremont play East Frio at the Wacker, um, which is good. Um, and yeah, still got a few mates there still rolling around i i actually handed my jumper to um francis watson um to try build you know that culture um with with the jumper it's pretty similar to you know what we're has done at the eagles um yeah. it, it wasn't it, it's not about i guess wearing the number two it's about building that culture for the next generation to you know show that they're they're welcome at the club um, and you know that the, they feel they feel at home to try keep them there, you know, a little bit longer. I know Franny's, you know, going through his second um, ACL rehabilitation at the moment, so yeah. I, I'm wishing him all the best. But um, it's yeah, and I think if if I probably say this now, but if he didn't have that jumper, he probably you know might have thrown it in. Um, so it's about yeah, create, creating that culture. Keith, you're doing fantastic work. It's a, a really important message that you've um, you sort of bravely opened opened up on today. It's something that's re- going to be really important over the next little bit in top down football. So AFL, obviously, and and country footy is is no exception. So it's really important, and we appreciate you coming on today and uh, and having this discussion, and and hope all is well. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bush Footy Legends. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you like, follow and share it with your mates. Make sure you check in on them while you're there. For tips and advice on how to look after yourself, your family and your mates, visit thinkmentalhealthwa.com.au. Get in touch with us through our Instagram page at WACountryFootball or if you want to suggest a guest, email us at wafc.com.au. If you're after more, stay tuned. We'll have an episode dropping every week.